0: week, we gave you a little handout, and we, the subject of last week was, can we name names of false prophets and false teachers, and we took an hour and five minutes to assure you we can. Now, not today, but the reason why this is so important on, there's difference between sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit. And if you don't know that, so before you tweet something or text something out ignorance, don't do it until we explain this to you in a week or two. False doctrines has everything to do with the twisting of the deity and the holiness of our God. Now, I'll explain. We're going we're to talk about some things this morning. So I encourage you to get a pencil, paper out, get a crayon. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about and then call me tomorrow because I'm not going to talk to you if you don't write it down today. So, 1 John chapter number 4, verse 1 says this. Beloved, the Greek word means object of God's love. So he's talking to the believers. Beloved, he's not talking about pimps, prostitutes, and plumbers. He's talking about the the church. Beloved, believe not every spirit. But try the spirits where they are from God. Now, some of you are saying, is that really in the Bible? It is. So for the last three weeks, some of your demons have been, fire has been coming out of your nose and your eyes said, boy, he's a troublemaker. So I am. So what? You ought to know that by now. Because many false prophets have already gone out among us into the world. So here's the idea this morning. We're not here to label and tag sins of your flesh. We're not here to bring up anything, your stupidity and your, and your lack of discipline on certain things because we don't have much time. We are dealing with anything that exalted or opposes against the righteousness and the holiness of God through Christ. Anything outside, I'm on it. And so you may go and say, well, what, what about Gaila? She combs her hair on the right and Catherine combs her hair on the left. That has nothing to do with attacking God of who God is. So David Jones gave me the permission like I needed about a month ago. He said, if we don't hear from you, we probably won't hear it. Or we're going to hear from somewhere that's not true. So here we go. So I am, my job is not to believe every spirit. So, so what do we do? It says, how, how do we do this? Try the spirits. Dr. Mazzo, try the spirits. Do not believe every spirit that comes along. See the word spirit in the King James? It's a small s. It means their mind, will, and emotions. Anytime it's a capital S, it's the Holy Spirit, small s, it's another person's opinion. Good information. So in the King James, if you'll see big S, that's Holy Spirit. See little S, that's that's another man's opinion. Don't believe every donkey that comes in here praying something. I didn't say it. I said last week it started with a J and ended with the S and it wasn't Jesus. So somebody may say, not this segment, say, oh, can we not just have a church here that just holds hands and we love one another and kind to one another? Yes, it's called Children's Church. Just help yourself and go over there. Yeah, we got that. We got that. But this is not that. We're adults. Got it? Dr. Mozo is a word to investigate. Matter of fact, by the time the Greeks got a hold of it, it puts it under the beaker tube and turn the light on it, examine it, put it in a bunch of burner, light it up, see what happens. He's telling us as believers, not preachers, as believers. Philip, he's telling us every, every doctrine that comes along, don't buy into it. Put it to the test. Will, will it stand? And matter of fact, I wrote this a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And what I tell you from the pulpit, brother, you can take it home with you and you can turn the fire, it it will withstand any testing because the Word of God, flower fades, the grass withers, but the Word of God will endure forever and ever and ever. And I'm not afraid nor I'm ashamed to declare what the Word of God says. So this is why we post it up here. It's not my opinion, it's the Word of the Lord. So, So let's get that out of the way. And if you're allergic to the Word of God, like we said last week, some of you are allergic. You said the last days, they will not endure sound doctrine. It means to become allergic to the Word. It's all right. So we begin this morning. So what's the big deal about, what's the big deal about these other doctrines, these people that I named? And I'm not going to name them because I'm not going to get you riled up. Word of faith people, what's the big deal about your doctrine? Whether it be or all these people, Ken Copeland, George Myers, Teal Osborne, all these people back in the 70s, what's the big deal about this? It's a huge deal, and I'm going to explain to you why in simple terms this morning. Now, once again, go do your homework. I'm not going to put you in a high chair this morning and feed you stuff. Go home and look it up. Just go home and look it up. The doctrines of the word of faith people, Am I a word of faith man? I hope I am. So, but what happens is the problem is, is that there, we have a problem here. Now, we said, I said, that we, we don't have to split over secondary doctrines. Water baptism. Should I be dung, sprinkled, immersed? In, in the good old immersion, because the word baptizo, it means a sunken ship. I mean, get you down there where all the air bubbles are gone. We're going to practice that Sunday morning on you. You're going to kick and scream, but they eventually go away. Um, Should we have musical instruments in the church? I'm going to say yes. Now, some says no. I happen to like it. But I'm not going to break doctrine over you about that. Some of you want to wear your hair high? Wonderful. Some of you want to wear your hair low? I'm with you. I'm just glad I got a little hair lead. That's all there is to it. These are secondary doctrines. But what I'm referring to is a doctrine that's demonic and devilish because it is exalting. Except against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay? Are you with me? Don't go to sleep on me. Are you with me? Alright, so this is where we are. And I'll call it out. Because it's my job to call it out. Period. So, what happens is this. These doctrines diminish the deity of Christ and a sinless God. So, here's the doctrine begin with. These people believe. Look it up. I'm not going to name names. Did I name one? Sorry about that. Look it up. They believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He was virgin birth. He died upon the cross, He lived a vicarious life. He went to the cross, he suffered, he went before Pontius Pilate and all these things. And what happens is at, at Calvary, at Calvary, when his blood was shed, even though he said it is finished, it wasn't finished. As far as the, and you would, you would be amazed at these people that are raking in millions with the M and billions with the B, that people are buying into this. And I, I want to uncover the apologetic doctrine of this. They believe that Jesus, when he left the cross, left the cross as a sinner. Yep. And he went to the center of the earth to hell as a sinner. He was the biggest sinner man had ever known. And he, Kenneth Copeland says, oh, I did it again. Kenneth Copeland says in the recording that Jesus was molested by demons. J.M., not going to mention names, follows the same suit. These other people, the writers, will go into explicit detail. Remember what I said last week? Vain babblings leads into what? More ungodliness. What we lack in information out in fictitious stories. And when you leave the the principles of faith, the stories get bigger and exaggerated. You with me? You might as well be with me. So what happens is they believe. Now it's hidden somewhere because they anybody, anybody remember the song Carmen? Remember Carmen? He's, he wrote a song Friday night, Sunday's on the way. Three days. Jesus in the tomb being harassed, tortured, Molested by demons as a simple man. And I'm going to address that with you this morning. Okay? So, what happens is, what they're saying is this make no mistake about it. I'm going to show you the lie and where it came from. But make no mistake about it. This is the tarnish that Jesus Christ was a sinless God. This tarnishes that Jesus Christ was sinless, He died sinless, He rose from the dead. Sinless. Amen. All right? So this doctrine is very damning because the problem is is that we're corrupting the nature of God in Christ Jesus. We're making Him like us instead of us making ourselves like Him. So, so here we go. This will be simple for you to understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 For he that was talking about Jesus, this is where they get the doctrine from it and I'm going somewhere, so let me get on this, and then in a, in a week or so, I'll come back to this. For he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Well, there you go. Made him to be sin for us. There's the doctrine. Who knew no sin, which he did not, that we may made the righteous of God in him. So this is their doctrine. That he, Jesus, that knew no sin, which he did not, God made him to become sin. What a horrible and a grossly, misinterpretation of this scripture, grossly. Anybody that has any type of formal education in in biblical principles knows this. And if you don't know this, I'm going to explain it to you. Jesus Christ did not become sinful in himself. Our sins was not placed in him. Our sins was placed on him. So here's the idea. Somebody drank Miller drinks of of Tomcat rat poison. He I don't even know what he thinks. He thinks it's tomato juice. He's got a bad eye. So he drinks this. And he goes, Oh, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm turning colors. I said, You are, just puke it up, just puke it up. And I'm, I'm here for you, just get it all out. And so I have a bag for him. And, I, and so instead of pumping his stomach, let's we'll say, so they take him to the doctor and they pump his stomach and they put it in a bag. And he said, I feel better. I said, Here, let me have that. And I said, I'll, I'll dispose of it. So what do I do? I drink it. <laughs> I'm not. What do I do? I take his sin, and I take it. Not inside, but I take it somewhere. Where I'll show you, where did Jesus take our sins? Oh, three, he took it back to hell where they belong. That's where they came from. He said, here, I'm here, to, I'm here to release the captives into heaven, but I'm here to return something that belongs here. Torment, fear, hate, jealousy, rage, blah, blah, blah. He took our, our, sins, he took our sins on his body, not inside him. He wasn't the biggest sinner. The, the Hebrew translates this correctly. Jesus became sin. Here we go. Sin offering. Any chimp from Frank Buck Zoo ought to know this. Now, the Greek says harmatia. What a, what a mis... Every, every Bible scholar in the world will tell you it is a misconcept of the word. In the original Hebrew, it says, and I'm going to prove all this to you this morning, sin offering. So what's it? He that knew no sin became the sin offering that we may be the righteousness of God. Our sins was not poured into him that poisoned him and contaminated him, and he went to hell for three days as a sinful man and had to get born again in hell. That's their doctrine. God placed... so, So anybody here know a little bit about the Old Testament before I go on? Two lambs, the Passover lamb, two lambs. Are you with me? I don't think you're with me. Did you know there's two lambs in the Old Testament? One of them, what did they do? They, the atonement blood. What did the other one do? It, I'm not making this up. He is the sin offering. Had two lambs in the Old Testament. They bring side by side. One of them, they shed his blood. It was the atonement for the previous year. They were good for the past year. They paid their taxes from the past. Now then, we have one live sheep. What do we do with him? Lamb. He said they would confess the sins upon the lamb and send him to Lodabar, which is desolate or a desolate place, and they would watch the nation of Israel how how animated this may seem, but the blood of Christ had not come in fact. So one lamb represents atonement, and the other lamb represents their sin is taken to a place that's gone. Jesus was both. He became our sin offering and our sin bearer. He was a sacrifice for our sin, but he bore our sin, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He bore our sin, and he took our sin, and where did he take our sin? Where did he take them? And somebody said, as far as the east from the west. That's not what, I'm telling you where he took them. He took them for where they come from. Guess where sin started? Just say Lucifer, and you'll get it right. He took them back to Lucifer. Hey. This is, this is you. You're the one that released this. I'm bringing all this junk back to you, and y'all can have more of it here. So he did not take our poison. He himself, on the inside, was spiritually poisoned, becomes sinful man. He took our sins up, upon himself, not within himself, upon himself, and he took it to the right compartment in the right place, and there, as far as the psalm says, each from the west, our sins that God no longer Remembers. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference of saying this, Jesus became sin versus Jesus became sin offering. That's astounding to me. Okay. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. What's this. So he, Jesus, is the propitiation of our sins. That's a funny word. It's a word called helmus, but it means this and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Helmus is a right word that should have been inserted in 2 Corinthians 5. But watch this. Helmus is a word for, where we get a word for, and IV gets it right. Jesus is the what? atoning sacrifice of our sin. Nowhere in the Bible will it contradict itself, ladies and gentlemen. The Apostle Paul's not going to state in one step that he became sin and then somewhere else that John's going to say, well, here's the real deal, that he was the atoning sacrifice. They're both are correct. It was, a mis- ins- it was a wrong inserted word that the Hebrews put in there. Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for my sin, Thomas's sin, Virgil's sin, for the whole world's sin. He is the atoning sacrifice once and for all, and it was settled on the cross, not three days being tormented or molested in hell. When he said it was finished, it's finished. That's pretty good news to me. So for you that don't know this, for you that really don't care, but I do care. So the word atoning, we talked about this. So we have some new members over in this section, so they're a little slow. So I have to repeat some things slowly to you. Atonement is a wonderful word. Kaphar is used in the Hebrew Bible. Kaphar. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. I'll show you what it is. But atonement, it means... In the Greek, the word m-e-n-t means with. With. So atonement, when you spread it out, means at one with. Atonement. So just take a moment to understand what I'm telling you. At one-ment. At one with. Atonement means, now then, I'm at one with. John with God. His shed blood on the cross brought atonement for our lives. His act of a sacrificial life, of His shed blood, was more than enough to bring atonement for the sins of humanity. And I don't have to work for it. I don't have to strive for it. I don't have to do anything. He did it all at Calvary. And the most worst thing I can do is try to add to or take away or diminish the sacredness of the blood of Christ on the cross. And not only that, but it's demonic and it's devilish. Here, I got some good news. God don't need your help. (laughs) He said, leave it alone. Matter of fact, if you touch it, I'm going to spat your hands. The blood of Christ has set man free. And at the cross of Calvary, when his blood was shed, it brought atonement for our sins. Or Now then, I become at one with God. So here's the verse to clarify that. So atonement is only used one other time, only once in the New Testament. Once. Romans chapter 5, verse 11. But not only so, same God, same Paul, but we also rejoin we God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received <clears throat> atonement. All right? Hey, listen, I, I know you're getting a little restless, but I haven't even cracked the Bible yet as of this morning. All right? I had not even got to the preface yet, so just stay with me. Catalog is a group for... for Here, for atonement, and by definition it means to reconcile or to change mutually. Kalalagi was the word was, I'm sorry, when two opposing parties couldn't get along. So they sent in a mediator to bring some type of mediation or reconciliation between two parties. So now then what happens is this, Kalalagi, Jesus Christ became our atonement. It means this, that not only he's reconciled our sins to God and God to us, but now then there's a mer- there's mutually a change between both parties. <clears throat> so here's the deal. I found out when I gave my life to Christ, fully to Christ, I mean fully upon his shed blood, I mean fully upon his shed blood, the atonement of sin, that's it. No works were involved. Then what happens is something wonderful happened is this, that my heart changed towards God and his heart changed towards me. God's no longer mad at us. Now, some of you are not born again. We, we, we might want to come on Wednesday night, and I'll give you an hour about the wrath of God. But today, if you're born again, God's not mad at you. That's pretty good news. Because the Bible says when he's talking to Moses, the mountain started blowing up and the thing caught on fire. I don't really want to be around God when he's mad. All right? I, I've read some stories in the Old Testament that God's not pleasant to be around when he's angry. So what happens is Jesus Christ became our atonement Or our reconciler, Jesus Christ, because the action of his shed blood, he did something to mutually change the behavior and views on both parties. You understand that? Of course you do. Turn to somebody and say, I understand it. I'm more confused than ever before, but I understand it. So now then, here we go. We're going to look at the first accusation against the deity of God. Now pay attention. I won't let you sleep. If you sleep, I'm going to haul you out here. Okay? This is the first accusation against God. This is the doctrine. This is the doctrine of demons. Against God. Get this right. How many knows that God is right? And you're not. Okay. God's right. Okay. So here we go. This is, we're going to read it in in the good old message Bible, then we're going to talk about it. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So the serpent was clever and more clever than any wild animal that God had made. And he spoke to the woman. He said, do I understand that God told you that you are not to eat from any tree in the garden. So she says, the woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from all the trees in the garden. It's only about that tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it and don't even touch it or you die. Now, number one, watch what happens. God never said you couldn't touch it. Genesis 2 and 17, he just told Adam that she wasn't around. But he told Adam, he said, You tell your little woman there, don't, you can't eat of it. You never say anything about touching it. The first step false teaching is to take away or add to what God said. Yeah, so here comes the enemy. So, she, so, so she, she's believing this lie. She said, We can't even eat it, and we can't even touch it. God never said you couldn't touch it. He said, You won't die. Now, stop right there. You won't die. Oh, God, just a fuddy-duddy. He said, where did you hear that? And she said, my husband, he heard it. He said, mean me, that guy over there that's picking fleas off chimps, that guy? He was created on day six, and I was created on day four. I've been around this garden a lot longer than he has. He won't die. So what I want to do is is, is take a few minutes before I absolutely lose you. And now that we're going to go to a, a little bit of a collegiate level with some doctrine. Okay? Are you ready? Okay. The serpent represents more than just a beast of the field because of his reasonings and his power of speech. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I need you to be wide awake. I told you two weeks ago I would never treat you like preschooler Christians. I want to talk to you as educated men and women of God. The serpent here, by the Hebrew language, is nakash is a word for hissing, or the Hebrew gets it a snake, something that hisses. Well, I know a lot of things that hisses. A cattle hiss at me. I don't know why. I think it says. I love you. I don't know what it's saying. <laughs> he is not some loathsome creature that's crawling on his belly, because that never happened until after Genesis 3:17. So if you get this idea that we have a creature that's crawling on his belly, and I understand, I'm with you for you that now you're going to get fired up with this, but I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. There's a lot of things that run through my mind and, and I can prove it. But, so forget about this thing crawling around because he never crawled around until after the curse. As a matter of fact, we'll talk about this. Uh, Proverbs 20:17 17, Seth talked about the humiliation. He said, he talked about a man that's, that is ignorant with God. He said that his mouth will be filled with gravel. It means the serpent is slithers on the ground and Solomon's giving you good indication that a man that's wicked, he spends his life slithering on the ground. That's why his mouth is always full of gravel, because he's not upright, he's on the ground. But besides that, we'll, we'll deal with that on a Wednesday. I'll tell you what that means. Most scholars, and I'm going to say 98% of them outside of the Word of Faith, believe that this is actually Satan. Okay. Now I know this is going to bust some of your bubbles, but it's okay. So, the reason why that we're, we're going to talk about this matter of fact, so the, the first word serpent in the Hebrews is what we refer to as nakash, which is something that hisses, something they, they refer to this as a snake. But, but I'm going to say this slowly to you. We got some good Bible students here. The Chaldean language was, was there before the Hebrew language was. Abraham was Chaldean way before Moses got involved. Correct, Danny DeVore? So we know for a fact on Bible history from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, give or take a year or two, 2,500 years, give or take, give or take, close. The Chaldean language, because this is where they're from. Chaldean, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Mesopotamia. So the Chaldean language was first. And the Hebrews adopted. So you're going to say to me, then what in the wide world sports has it got to do with anything? It's got everything to do with everything, what I'm about to tell you. So it is in a lot of writings that this word, Nakash, and Chaldean means shining one. Shining one. The Chaldeans used it as polished brass or polished copper, reflector of light. So when, when the first words came out in this, that you get this Hebrew word for nakash, and it means a, a snake or something. Just, but keep in mind, this, this language began several hundred years before the Hebrews got involved. So the original word for this nakash, it means shining one, a symbol of polished brass or polished silver. It's a reflector of life. So now that if you would for a few moments, just let me go on a... On, on a rant with you, no longer a serpent or a snake that's on his belly. Now then we absolutely have a burning ember. as in Ezekiel chapter one, Isaiah talks about seraphims and cherubim. Ezekiel chapter one, verse five calls seraphims one a creature that is burning. The bush in Moses it's burning. We're not dealing with a serpent that's on his ground. We're talking about Satan himself or Lucifer, if you will, the shining one, the one that's a reflector of light. There's no light in him. He's just reflecting light. There's no light in copper or brass. They are reflectors of light. Ooh. I'm going to roll up my britches leg on this one. So now then in the garden... It's not this simple little snake coming. Now, then, we have Satan himself. That now, then, is the Chaldean language that he is the shining one. Now, just to prove a point to you, because I can, it's a play of words called the next verse. Let's go back to the the King James in chapter 3, verse 1, please, son. King James. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Any beast of the field. Horrible translation. The word field can be territory, plot of ground, territory, boundaries, world. It has infinite amount of of, of possibilities. So, forget about the field. You're thinking about the field like the backyard. Use the the word field as the garden. Use the field as the word the planet. It's not taking anything out of Scripture. The beast of the field, we have a problem with the word beast. Horrible mistranslation. Horrible. Now, some of you know this, and we've been over this before, but kahi is a Hebrew word for beast, and it means, watch this, living creature. Now, just stay with me for a moment. When you say that the the snake or the serpent was more subtle than any of all the beasts in the backyard, it sounds like a farm animal, and it's not. He's a living creature. So what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Go to Revelation chapter number 4, verse 6, please, Jordan. And before the throne there stood up a sea of glass, and like unto the crystal in the midst of the throne, there were around there there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. This is a Greek word for zoom, it is the Hebrew word for kahi. Living creatures in heaven. These four beasts is not lions, tigers, and bears, and calico cats. These four beasts are beasts that is somehow has been situated around the throne of heaven, and they're absolutely where we get a Greek word for zoe or full of the life of God. The New Testament calls them zoom, but it's more than just lions, tigers, and bears, and hippopotamuses. It is, comes out of Ezekiel chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 12. These things are seraphims, Isaiah chapter 6, seraphims, and cherubims. These are actual living creatures burning with fire. They had the glory of God. And, and as Moses come down from the mountain, Mike Boyette, they couldn't even look at him because the glory of God was so powerful. You know I'm not pulling your leg, don't you? These living creatures represents these four creatures that are absolutely are on fire or glowing or burning with some type of a burning in heaven, the same as cherubim and, and seraphim, these four creatures. And it's the, it's the Greek word where we get a word for zun, the Hebrew word for kahi, or living creature. The living creature that it speaks of in Genesis 3 is the same word that speaks of the creature that's in heaven as far as shining or burning or reflecting light. Amen. Now some of you are going, Blah, 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 blah. So why is that important? 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14. Paul said, you better, better, better beware here in Corinth, here at Calvary. There's false apostles, deceitful workers. And they have the ability to transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself transformed into an what? Angel of light. Let me give you the definition for this before we go on. These are reflectors. These are eye catchers. These are attention getters. These people are flashy. They are sparkly. They have that wow factor. Okay, so, so take, a, take a big yawn. So let me get this right. What you're saying is, in the original sin against God, that it wasn't just a serpent, a chameleon, a gila monster, or a, a calico cat that's hissing. It was actually some type of... A, a presence of Satan himself in the garden that was shining and burning and reflecting light. It was sparkly. It was because like, I wrote on here this, because this caught Eve's eye. Moses never would have paid any attention to the bush until it got on fire. This is what I want you to be aware of. If we just had a serpent or snake or a Gila, a Gila monster or something that slithers his, I don't know if she'd really buy into that. I don't know. Now, boy, I mean, I, mean, I mean, we can be, like, like my, my little wife, we'd be driving the road 70 miles an hour, down a down country road 70 miles an hour, whatever speed limit is, of course, that's what I'm going to drive. And she goes, Stop the car! And, I, and, I, and I, think, I think something's happening. She's been shot. I mean, I, I don't know what's happening. She goes, did you see that? I said, oh, what was it? A murder? A car? She goes, no, it was a wind chime. <laughs> oh, 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 I start breaking out in a rash. And, and I said, we are not stopping this car for a wind chime. And then once we turn around and get it, I said, I'm not stopping it anymore. <laughs> Doctrines of devils. Watch this. Here we go. You might as well just enjoy me for a while. I've been taking steroids. That's what the problem is. I got the Holy Spirit in me and I'm on steroids. So I don't know which it is. But the problem with Doctors of Devil is this. By itself, it, 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 it won't pass. It won't pass. So we've got, we've got to be catchy. We've got to be flashy. We've got to be sparkly. We've got to, we've got to have a woo and wow factor we got to knock people over. we got to blow people over. we got to throw coats on them. we got to do all this nonsense because the doctrine that we speak will not stand for itself. Hang on just a minute. Now, the word that I preach will stand by itself. He, he was more clever. He said, I know she's not going to believe this snake mentality. So what happens is this. Little shiny, little sparkly. And and she's looking at him and, and he, she's looking at that thing God gave her, and she's looking at him and looking at that guy, playing with the monkeys and looking at him, and, and, and now that it caught her eye. Listen, watch this. I, and I'm gonna quit, promise you. Be careful of false doctrines and people that catches your eye. Doctrines will always have a flashy catch. Blowing you over, standing you up, throwing coats on you, sprinkling on you, something. Did you know Benny Hinn one time had feathers coming out of his coat? Are you aware of this? Had old implants coming out of his hands. Crazy. I took a beating years ago against him. I stood against him and everybody in church said, oh, you're just judging. So what? He's a kook. He's a false prophet. And I named the name. I don't care. Let him come here. I don't care. He has, he has blasphemed my father. So besides that, can't you flashy, So here, So this is where the conversation comes up with him. This is 4, 6, and 7, the King James. What I'm saying is this. If it's, if it's too flashy, it's just, if it's too frilly, beware of it. Now, we can have fun and, and have good music and life, but when it, when it becomes like absurd, run from it. It's, it's not of God. God don't have to put on a show God don't have to have a smoke machine. We don't have to have a strobe light. We don't have to sing fog hat songs in this church just to draw people. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men nigh unto me. And If they don't want to come, then, then that's not my problem. My responsibility is for you that are here this morning. So he said, how can you get more people in church? I don't know. That's up to God. My job is just to preach to you. So the Lord God said unto Cain, so why is your face fallen? why is your countenance fallen? Why does your face look like it's pouting? Because it is. He said, if, if you do well, thou shalt be accepted. And if you don't do well, then sin lies at the door, and unto thee it shall be a desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So here's, here's the concept of this scripture, horribly mistranslated. He's having a conversation, Abel and Cain, and he said he didn't accept Cain's because it was, it was because he, he gave God his leftovers. But, Abel brought in the sheep, he brought in the fruits. One is for worship, one is for atonement. That's another sermon. I promise you. It's good. So, so God comes, to, and this is what he says. He said, why is your face falling? Have you ever known somebody that's really out of fellowship with God, and God said, this is what you want to do, and they won't do it? And they're like this. And I say, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Tell me. Nothing. Hebrew expository says it exactly word for word here. Shall it not, your countenance, if you do write, be lifted up? But if you do not write, then at the entrance of the sheepfold, right in front of you, is a sin bearer. Katah. A sin offering is lying, crouching, waiting for you. So Brandon here, and I'm really quitting. Close your Bibles. In the sin of God church where I was raised up, they, they took this and they grossly twisted it. And they said, if you don't get it right, sin is like a, a wild, uh, sin is like a wild animal. And, and he's going to, he's going to pounce on you. And he desires you. And oh, I, and I was just terrified of God. And but do you, do you, are you aware that every doctor must be established by two or three? Are you aware of this? So God came to Cain and He says, listen, I, I see that your, your countenance is falling and you're blaming your brother and you're blaming everything else, but really, you, you, the blame is really on yourself, but I'm with you. But He said, if you'll do what's right, if you'll do what's right, and this is what it says in the actual Hebrew expository of this, right in front of you, in front of the entrance of the sheepfold. What's at the entrance of the sheepfold? And the answer is a sheep. Abel offered a lamb and God accepted it. And he said, that's what I want. And if you bring me this other stuff, he said, that's not what I'm wanting. Blood sacrifice, and we're going to get onto that one day. But he said, right in front of you at the entrance is a sheep, and it's here for you, and it's crouching down. It's not. Watch this. It's not running from you. You don't have to get a, a lasso to hunt it down. It's waiting for you. It's ready. It's willing. It's crouching. It's lying. All you have to do is pick it up and offer it. God said, I want you to get it right. If you don't get it right, here's the remedy. A sin offering is here at the door waiting on you. So now we quit. Look what 1 John says this. My little children, these things I write unto you that you what? Can we all say it together? But if any man sin, raise your hand. That's me. I have an advocate with the Father Christ Jesus the righteous. See, Genesis got it right, preachers got it wrong. He wasn't telling Cain, if you don't get this right, it's over. That's not what he said at all. He's saying the same thing that John is saying. He said, I want, God said, I want you to do right and sin not. But if you do sin, at the door, at the entrance, near to you, is the advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Little children don't sin, but if you do, good news is, Christ Jesus is the sin offering. He is the sin bearer for our sins. Pretty good news. So this morning, I said a whole lot in 45 or 50 minutes or so. But I will tell you one thing. False doctrines are already among us. False teachers are already here. I told Jeffrey yesterday, he came to see me. And uh, Christine, he spoke highly of you too. He loves you. Yes, ma'am, he does. Yes. She goes, Yes. And I would say, can you imagine watching OUB Texas again on the television and and the news flash comes on? Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program. I mean, right when somebody lets a pass go, what are they doing? And it says and cause they live on Maxwell, and I said, they said, We interrupt this program a murder of the whole family has just occurred. And eyewitnesses everywhere have seen the perpetrator leaving the house with blood on his clothes and blood on his, life, on his knife. Just look out for him. Now back to our regular scheduled bulletin. And you're going to say, why didn't we get a description of this guy? You just told me that, that he murdered people and we have eyewitnesses to see him leave, but why didn't you say this is what he looks like? That would help. Are y'all all all from south of Wilson? That would help, wouldn't it? Oh, I know it's like, honey, go get my gun. I mean, I know she's walking that dog and she's 90, but I'm going to pop her anyway. I mean, that's not what we do. I mean, it's not enough to say, oh, listen, let's be spiritual. There's false prophets. Woo, they're everywhere. We can't stop there. Can at least somebody at least tell me what one looks like? Can we, at least, can we at least give it me a hint what to look out for? And that doctrine the polygamy, you can have two wives, that's not even biblical. The Bible said no man can serve two masters, so that's out. <laughs> all right, all right. Stand to your feet. Good Lord. Father, more than anything, I want You to be glorified in my life in this church building. More than anything, from the bottom of my heart, I want my Father, as Jesus prayed in John 17, I want You, Father, to be exalted, glorified, lifted up. There's none like You. With all my heart, I don't want religions of this world to contaminate You. We've experienced doctrines that Jesus slept with Mary Magdalene we, 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 we knew all these traditions that he had children out of wedlock but Father that's lies all these things are lies they're shiny they're reflectors of lies they're polished this and polished that but they are not the truth you are a sinless Christ you are a sinless God you came from eternity sinless you lived in this world sinless and you died upon a cross sinless and now you are living evermore for our intercession as a sinless holy God And I refuse to let men desecrate the nature of your holiness. So help us to take this small Bible lesson to heart that we're not just dealing with certain beasts of the field. We're actually dealing with doctrines that are represented by something that's big, shiny, flamboyant, over-the-top, wow factor. bring us back to the humility and the modesty of Christ. Please take us back to where you being equal with God in Philippians 2, but yet you chose to disrobe and humble yourself and to serve mankind. So this morning... Father, I'm just asking You for just a great awareness of Your holiness in this place. And I'm so thankful that You've given us the commandment not to sin, but I'm so thankful that if I do miss it, and I do, but I have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus. And He makes us Righteous. If you're in this place and you have never ever understood the plan of salvation in your life, hear it this morning. That God loves you. He sent His Son Jesus to die for you. He suffered for your sins. He was buried three days and He rose again in victory. That you could have eternal life. And it's just this simple. That with my mouth I confess and with my heart I believe that you are the Christ and there's none like you. And the Bible said in Romans 10 and 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you're saved. So Father, let that be this morning the foundation that we go back to. Let us have a sense of humility and honesty and servantry as we just surrender our life to You to glorify our Father There's none like you, in Jesus' name. Some of you won't admit it this morning, but I've answered some questions for you that you never ask. Some of you this morning has turned on television and you watch things and deep down you're watching these things and deep down something's telling you this is not right. I gave you the answer this morning. So let's go back to Christ. Let's start over. Let's just love him with all of our heart and mind and let's learn to love one another and I think we'll make great gains. Amen. Amen. Communion servers, please come this morning. Turn about two people and say, "Man, I love you. I appreciate you in my life." Now, I want to say something to you this morning. If you're new here, we celebrate Holy Communion every week. But I want to say something to you this morning. By the time in Jesus' time, Passover become a parade. Matter of fact, they called it the the Passover of the Jews. They never called it the Lord's Passover. They did in Exodus, but not in the Gospels. Now, I want you to let that sink in a moment. It was never referred to in the Gospels as the Lord's Passover, they called it the Jews' Passover. Now, it has become a parade of religious things to do. That's not what we're doing here. This is the Lord's Supper. Well, Jesus sat down with his disciples and said 1500 years ago you celebrated this ordinance for the first time with the unleavened bread. Bread that had no leaven which represents sin. But he said now then I am that bread that cometh from, down from heaven. And if any man eat of meat he'll never hunger again John 6. And he said for 1500 years you've been celebrating the, the shedding of the lamb's blood that was taken and placed on the the doorpost in the shape of a cross, but he said, Now I am, in John 1, 29, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, and my Father will take now my blood and place it in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And as often as you take this bread and drink of this cup, it will remind you of me, the sin offering, the sin bearer. Father, we bless you this morning. We're more in love with you than we ever have. Bless this cup. Bless this bread. And for those that celebrated this morning, let eternal life be deposited in with them by faith. In Jesus' name.